going on, everybody? Kevin Cole here, Unexpected Points Podcast. This is the solo edition on a Friday. Welcome, everyone, here. This is a live stream. If you are tuning in on the live stream, feel free to drop some questions in the old chat. You got to subscribe to ask the questions, but, you know, hey, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Let's get this pumped up. Um, Probably the best way of doing some marketing out there. Uh, infecting some more minds here with some statistical analysis that we are doing on this show. Maybe an occasional hot take also on the show. All right, everybody, here's the agenda for today. Super Bowl is coming up. Been a pretty lackluster, I think, as far as takes are concerned coming into this. I'll talk around that a little bit. We have the... NFL awards, honors last night, all the awards came out, the new voting system, all that stuff. I want to talk about that. We also have Hall Hall of Fame inductees. Probably talk about that a little bit there too. Um, Not a lot going on on the coaching front. We'll probably find out after the Super Bowl because it seems like Jonathan Gannon the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles is a pretty popular candidate. May have even been hired last year if it wasn't for a lot of shakeout that was going on um, and controversy that was going on last year. So that's always a possibility uh, that he'll be hired by someone. And that's why we haven't heard about uh, a couple of vacancies that we have left in the NFL, including the Colts and the Cardinals. Maybe we'll hear about that eventually um, after this weekend. Let's start with NFL honors and awards. I realize it could be a bit much talking about this. You know, who cares, right? (laughs) Who cares about some of this stuff? Who's winning these awards or who's winning or who isn't? Um, I think it's interesting if only to have a gauge on popular perception versus what I believe to be you know, maybe not a better, but more accurate, more thoughtful way of trying to gauge these different players. Now, there's only one award, the MVP award, that specifically says value in the title of the award. Now, you're not in any way, shape, or form as an AP voter. Um, you're not constrained to only voting for the player you think literally adds the most value. But... It's going to drive the discussion, of course, has driven it almost entirely to quarterbacks. And it was 48 out of the 50 first place votes to Patrick Mahomes in this award. The difference now is for most of these awards, they're able to rank order first, second and third place, which normally has five points for first place, three voting points for second place, one voting point for third place. But for MVP, they're able to make five different selections. I think we pretty quickly found out here that's that's too many. <laughs> and the reason I say that is we had a number of selections that came in here uh, for MVP. Almost all of them the fifth selection for MVP. That, you know, really didn't make a lot of sense. That one of them, Danny Kellington, who I guess is the assistant trainer for the Bills who worked with everything was going on with DeMar Hamlin on the field. I mean, whatever, feel good sort of thing. I'm personally against that stuff. It's like you're, you're voting for players. I mean, what are we going to do next time? You know, we're going to like put in a give a fifth place vote to, you know, uh, victims of the Turkish earthquake or something next time. Um, I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious, of course. I don't think it's like going to extend beyond football, but Anyway, I don't want people getting too creative with, with these things here for what they're doing for for their awards there. I mean, it's fine. It's interesting to see the guy's name, I guess. But again, I, I don't know who's doing this. Um, actually, I think they, they said who did it. Maybe Susie Colber who did it, who he had to, had to uh, really live under fire that entire time during that broadcast, trying to keep things alive uh, when that happened. Uh, but the other ones that we see here, there were one, two, three, four, five six, seven, eight different players who got only one fifth place vote. I don't think all of these are absurd, but there's definitely a few that are absurd here. And because of that, it makes me think, okay, let's narrow it down to four because people are clearly just making votes on this fifth vote that I don't think they seriously believe 
is a top. Any of these guys are really top five in the NFL. Not any of these guys, but at least some of these guys are top five in the NFL. Ones that you could maybe make the case for. Um, AJ Brown got a fifth place vote. Yeah, that's fine. If you want to say AJ Brown, that's fine. I did an analysis, and I'll talk about this a little bit more when it comes to offensive player of the year. But I did an analysis looking at the most valuable non-quarterback offensive players, and AJ Brown came in, I think, second to Tyreek Hill overall. So that's fine if you want to throw him in there. Uh, Tyreek Hill also won fifth place vote. I feel like he deserved a little bit more. I'm surprised no one in the entire thing, in the entire the entire 50 voters, no one gave him a forget a first place vote. I didn't think you get a first place vote. Uh, but no one gave him a second, third, or fourth place vote here. Um, Tua got a fifth place vote. I think that's somewhat defensible. I mean, he missed some time, sure, but he was pretty efficient this year. So if you're talking about the top five category, I think that's a somewhat of a legitimate vote. Now we'll address some of the other ones here. Derek Henry, I mean, maybe that's someone who got one fifth place vote. Maybe that's someone who just had been dying to vote for Derrick Henry for MVP for the last few years and couldn't pull the trigger because they only had one vote at that point in time. So then they decided they would throw Derrick Henry out there this time. I mean, he did have 350 carries, 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns. It wasn't like he wasn't that productive. But let's remember, you know, he's had much more productive seasons in 2019 and 2020, especially in 2020, going for over 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns. He was compiling about 30 more rushing yards a game during that time. And not only that, it was like the team was doing that much better. 5.4 yards per carry, 5.1 yards per carry in 2020 and 2019. This season, 4.4, which is pretty much in line with the running back average so far this season. So it wasn't a very extraordinary year for Tennessee. And, you know, they washed out and didn't even make it into the playoffs. So that one I'm putting in the category of, uh, come on, man. Like, let's come on. That's that, that, that Derek Henry vote. Again, if it was one of those prior years, you wanted to give them a toss them a third or fourth or a fifth place vote. I think that's fine this year. Not so much. Uh, who else do we have in here? Geno Smith, <laughs> one fifth place vote. Now I, I got a nice little joke off about this one because now officially Geno Smith has more MVP votes than Russell Wilson, who very famously has never received an MVP vote. Of course, that was under the system where you only had one MVP vote per voter. And now we have five times that amount. But again, Geno Smith, I cannot put together any case for Geno Smith being the fifth most valuable player in the in the NFL. Um other than the fact that they took a Seahawks franchise that has a pretty pretty bad defense all the way to the playoffs. I mean, maybe it's a little bit of primacy bias. You know, there's all these different types of biases, right? So many of them seem to conflict with each other, like recency and primacy bias are two that conflict with each other. Recency being the most recent thing that happened, you're overly influenced by. Primacy, I think, could be part of the Geno Smith thing. I'm not sure a lot of people know because there was such hype around Geno Smith the first five, six, seven, eight weeks of the season, how he was he was basically a top five quarterback during that time. I'm not sure if a lot of people know that he was, according to most statistical and grading measures, you know, in that 17 to maybe 23 type of range the second half of the season. He fell off quite a bit. Uh, maybe whoever was voting for Geno here isn't quite aware of the fact of how much that he fell off in the second half of the season uh, when it comes to Geno. I mean, props to Geno, of course. Uh, we'll talk about, I mean, comeback player of the year. Although even then, if you look up the technical, well, not technical, if you look up the definition of comeback on Google here, it says a player who has returned to prior greatness may have been a lack of prior greatness. <laughs> We're talking about Geno Smith, but anyway, he deserved it. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm poking fun at Geno. Prior greatness. If you saw his time with the Jets, I mean, he's a starter, but okay. Um, so Geno, I'm saying that's an illegitimate pick. So Henry and Geno, those, those people should be put under the microscope. Whoever, whoever uh, tossed those out there. If anyone knows who made these picks, if anyone's claiming them, please drop it in the chat. Let me know. And, who else do we have here? Justin Herbert. Eh. I don't know. I mean, he did have the rib injury. He did 
take the team. The team did get into the playoffs despite not really playing well around there. Um, I think he's fundamentally like a lot better player than Gino, but he didn't really have the greatest season statistically this season. So I don't know if that's legitimate or not, but borderline illegitimate pick for Justin Herbert. And then one of my favorites here, Justin Fields. One fifth place MVP vote here. Now, wasn't a lot going on with the Chicago Bears this year as far as offensive or defensive support for Justin Fields. So I get it if that is where you're starting with the analysis. But if you have literally the worst record in the NFL, where's the MVP case or the second most valuable player case or the third most valuable player case or the fifth most valuable player case if you have the worst record in the NFL? Like, are we saying they would have had negative two wins if uh, Justin Fields wasn't there? I don't know. I mean, it would have been bad, but um, that one very much stretching the definition. I also wonder whether or not if this is like a Chicago based sports writer guy who is the one who threw that one out there. Um, I wonder if it's the same guy is a Chicago based guy who said he wasn't going to vote for Aaron Rodgers last year or two years ago. Was it last year or two years ago? I guess it must have been two years ago about the COVID stuff. Sounds like a similar sort of takey move by someone like that. I think his name was Hub. Hub? Hube? Hube? Maybe it's Hube. Like, who would be named Hub? Hube Arkush? Arkush? I wonder if that's the guy. Actually, I should look him up. I have his Twitter here. I should look him up just to see. Did he vote? For, does he say he voted? No, he hasn't. He hasn't tweeted anything since August 15th of uh, 2022. So he's really, but he is a Bears guy. That's that's my guess. That's my guess. Is this dude NFL insider? Um, that's my guess for who gave uh, who gave Justin Fields his one vote. Now, Mahomes, as I mentioned before, got forty eight out of fifty votes here. The other votes for first place votes one went to Jalen Hurts. Then Hurts came in second in the voting. Not that far above Josh Allen, though. 193 total points by the system here, where it's 10 points for first place, five for second, three, two, one down the ship. So he's above Allen at 193, but Allen's 151. Joe Burrow, 128. That's pretty good. Burrow, zero first place votes. So only Allen and Hertz got the other first place votes. And then Burrow also only got 10 second place votes. Most of the second place votes went to Jalen Hurts, and that's where he finished off. Uh, no votes for Mahomes, worse than second place. So at least people are keeping their sanity there. And Mahomes has been one of these guys where, according to my numbers in the offseason, every single year after 2019. 2019 was borderline whether or not he was a value according to offseason odds, but 2020, 2021, and then this season, every year, despite the fact that he was, I believe, the leader in MVP odds. Maybe not going to this year. He might not have been the leader in MVP odds. He was close, though. He was right up there with him. Every year, he, according to my projections, because how strong his career has been so far, how much better his numbers have been so far than anyone else in the league, no down periods, playing at an MVP level every single season. Um, he always looks like a value. to bet. Like You can almost just bet him every year for MVP. Maybe next year he won't be because of the fact that he won this year. But he's one of those strange cases where you're not even needing to go long shot here to find value on MVP. You could probably, you probably would have been in the right um, from an EV standpoint, just betting Patrick Mahomes every single season the last few years. All right, let's get into the other awards here. And this one will talk about my analysis too. So I came out with a piece this week. Um, props to me, if you don't mind. Little gratuitous self congratulation here. Props to me getting my plus minus metric up and going. You'll find it on the site, subscribe, unexpectedpoints.substack.com, which I had to translate all this stuff over from PFF data that I have. Well, props to me, number one, of course. Props to the whole NFL verse, the universe that's been created with the help of. Uh, ben Baldwin, Tano, some other guys there. Um, they have really 
created so much free data and, in this case, participation data, which is the key to this analysis. From 2016 to 2022, they have, on a play-by-play basis, every uh, the, the IDs, their player IDs, the GSIS IDs for every single player on the field broken out by offense and defense. That's the key to this analysis because it's all based on this plus minus that I've done before for PFF, which of course has data going back a bit further, but you don't need a ton of data. You need enough to build these clusters and then you can just have the stats and apply it to the stats after that. Um, That's really the key is building up these larger samples of players. You have their plus minuses for all these different players. You find similar players, you cluster them together and you use those aggregate samples and apply them to the individual players to get a more stable number. And then you kind of just tweak things a bunch of times, create a bunch of different clusters that can go over, use different features, different stats to figure out who they should cluster with, and then average it all together, basically, to come up with these numbers for the best estimate of when a player's on or off the field, how much they're worth by cutting down the noise there. There's also some regression and some other stuff in there, but I don't want to get into it too much. So I had to update all that stuff, and it's a pain. Let me tell you, like I was just getting in the groove as far as having all my in-season stuff updated with new data sources. So now I had to translate everything over here. Plus I was bringing in PFF grading because there's not a lot of good data for coverage, let's say. You know, like, well, what are you going to base? What metrics are you going to base it on that we have access to? Even through the NFL verse, even advanced metrics. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to know when a player's on or off the field, but then you also have to have some sort of attachment to a real tangible stat to group these players together and cluster them together. Um, So grading helps a lot. And other advanced stats that PFF has, charting stats that PFF has, they help a lot for those types of players, for their playing positions that are not skill positions that we don't have a lot of data for. So I had to also, this is like probably the most tedious part of an annoying part, and if anyone has suggestions for how to do this better, please let me know, of analysis when you're joining data sets. Joining data sets that do not have matching IDs for the players is my own personal hell. Because the best way that I've found out, or that I've done it, is I try to you know match by name. Um, you, tr- you strip out... All of the capitalization, you strip out all the juniors, seniors, third, fourth. Sometimes those are there. Sometimes they aren't in different players. Uh, You strip out the hyphenation. You strip out the punctuation out of some of these names. Uh, Make everything lowercase again. And then I try to join by those two names. But sometimes the names still aren't the same. Sometimes it's Nathan. Sometimes it's Nate on one data set. Um, Sometimes, and, and I try to also, you know, use other things to help get them together. Like, can I get a better idea of position groups they're in or exact positions they're in? But, you know, sometimes players switch positions, especially on defense, Um, or you don't have the same position groups. Like the way the PFF groups players, like defensive interior, they don't say defensive tackle or nose tackle or other things. So anyway, I don't want to like sit here and bitch for too long, but that's a, it's a pain in the ass. You get as many players together as you can. And then you have a number of players where, A, you don't find a match because the names don't match. And then you have to go and find them and find the correct one and just basically look it up and find that. Or, B, they're matching to multiple players because you have multiple players with the same name and sometimes multiple players with the same name who are in the same position group. And then you have to go and look and make sure you have the right guy matched the right one. So I had to end up doing this for, you know, in total, we're talking about matching thousands of players together automatically done for most of them and then there ends up being i don't know 50 100 where i have to like come up with a bunch of different tricks to try to match them all together so props to me for being done with that and being able to apply it to this analysis and get everything out here because what this plus minus analysis is going to do having a points based value for every player and you can translate that point value into a win value but by roughly saying 30 points it's about 30 points of point differential is equal to uh, win differential in the NFL. In other words, a team is about one game over 500. Each game over 500 they are by their finishing results equals about 30 points in either direction. 
uh, it was easier when we had a 16 game season for this illustration, but it would have been like during a 16 game season, if you were nine and seven on average, nine and seven teams have a plus 30 point differential plus 35 point differential in the season. So that's a good way of thinking about wins when you're translating a points with EPA that we have here. I was able to do that for at least different players um, apply it to the offensive players. And that's where I got Tyreek Hill being the most valuable player here coming in at 32.3 points, which means a little bit over a win. And then AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, Devonte Adams following after that. It's a decent little gap between Hill and Brown next. And if you look at the other players here, Running backs are surprisingly high. Josh Jacobs, 28 points. Now, it's a big drop to Nick Chubb at second at 18 points, but Jacobs just had all these ridiculously long breakaway runs where you could probably attribute, I don't know how much of it to it. There's a lot of luck and variance in here because the running back results are unstable year over year. But, hey, he did it, right? He he kind of won multiple games for them. Um, so the fact that he's almost up to a game, about that like worried about running backs don't matter i think what they do on the field can matter it's just not stable and it's not necessarily something you can count on season after season although there are guys like nick chubb who consistently is at the top of the scoreboard here uh or christian mccaffrey who had a lot of receiving value who's up there who looks who looks pretty good saquon barkley a little bit further down at eighth for this one tight ends for kelsey and kittle they're a bit further down um, then both positions, almost like 12 points less than the top wide receivers. I think this is really a problem with the methodology that I may have to correct here because when you're clustering players, if you're saying, I want to make a similar group of players from, again, from 2016 to 2020, I'm going to look at all the stats. I'm going to look at all the tight ends and I'm going to say, like, let's look at the value on and off the field for these guys. Um, maybe I need to just incorporate them in with wide receivers too, to build up the sample, because you're just going to have like Kelsey and Kittle and maybe some seasons of Andrews and maybe a few other guys who are really, really good tight ends. Um, so even when you're trying to build smaller clusters on there, there's going to be more noise and you're going to be incorporating a lot of players in the clusters with Travis Kelsey, who just aren't that good, uh, aren't nearly as good as Travis Kelsey. Whereas when you're building Tyreek Hill clusters, you're going to get some dilution there for players who aren't as good as Tyreek Hill, but at least there's a lot more options you can choose from, from building up those clusters to reserve the noise. So Kelsey one, Kittle two, big gap down to Mark Andrews, but I may have to work on that. Kelsey may, you know, it says here, Kelsey's worth maybe 70%, 65, 70% of Tyreek Hill. That's probably not correct. Probably should be higher than that. Um, tackles, tackles, surprisingly about only a little bit incrementally better than guards. That's something I definitely want to look at a lot, especially in the pass protection, pass blocking plus minus somewhat similar here. Um, Does that mean guards are undervalued? Does that mean that backup tackles are that much better than who come in, who substitute in the off are that much better than pure real replacement level guards that may be coming in sometimes. I don't know, but it might hint at actually the fact that guards are becoming more important as interior pressure becomes more important in the NFL. But just to talk about some of the top guys, Tristan Wirfs first here, I think he was first or second last year based upon the numbers at tackle. A lot of the guys you'd expect Lane Johnson, second Laramie Tunsil, third Trent Williams, fourth. Now maybe that seems low for Williams, but again, there's only about 0.8 points separating Wirfs and Williams. But the thing is for Williams is he's just not as good and doesn't pass protect as often playing for the San Francisco 49ers. And we had 466 pass blocking snaps this year versus Tristan Wirfs had 626. So I'll use my quick math here. It's 160 more snaps for Wirfs. That's a lot. 160 more versus Williams at 466. Um, Williams had more run snaps, 100 more run blocking snaps, and he has, you know, a pretty big value. I think he was second amongst anyone. And on a per snap basis, I think he's first for anyone in his value added run blocking. But the run blocking is just not as valuable according to this plus minus analysis, which I like. I like that that lines up with what my intuition would be um, for that. For guards, Joe Joe Tooney, number one. Um, 
Darthuni, I should say. Uh, Chris Lindstrom, number two, which is interesting. Again, he's driven by a lot of run blocking there. Uh, Betonio, number three. He's a guy who's constantly up there at the top. Zach Martin is five, so he's another guy who's been up there at the top quite a bit. Uh, but again, the, the, the surprise here is that guys like Betonio and, and Jothan, you're pretty close to the, uh, the, the tackles. Centers. Jason Kelsey, number one, Creed Humphrey, number two, Corey Lindsley, number three. So I think we like that. A big gap after that. But their values are, are lower. I mean, we're looking at 13, 14 points for Kelsey versus 20 for the top guards versus 21 for the top tackle. So that's a significant difference. And it aligns with what the NFL pays for these positions. So that's good. It, it kind of aligns. And I think centers get, get a little bit more hype than their actual value because they're the ones doing protections. They're obviously, you know, they actually touch the ball. So that's that's something like they get on camera at least a little bit more often. We're talking a lot about the Creed Humphreys and Jason Kelsey's of the world sometimes versus the guards who kind of get lost there in between. Um, but if you look at the NFL, there are five different guards who are being paid more than $15 million a year. Jason Kelsey has the highest APY of any center and it's 14 million. So they definitely look at these guys differently. Uh, but again, the overall leader is still Tyreek Hill and the first four or wide receivers. Then Josh Jacobs, believe it or not, sneaks in there before we have a few more wide receivers and then some tackles at the top. The relative rankings, again, I'm going to work on this further and further to figure it out. But the real question here when it came to the awards now is Justin Jefferson, right? Um, Justin Jefferson is the Offensive Player of the Year, according to the votings. That was the first award that was announced last night. And let me get the exact voting here. So Jefferson wins with 35 of the 50 first place votes. It's such a weird award, though, because quarterbacks are in there. Sometimes quarterbacks even win. But People aren't voting for the quarterback as the best offensive player very often because they kind of know they're going to get the MVP votes. Like Mahomes gets 10 votes, Hertz gets three votes. So I think that definitely needs to just be explicit. Like stop spending votes on quarterbacks. Like why are these guys getting votes? Josh Allen got one first place vote. Like those are just, stop doing that. Burrow got a few, uh, got a second place vote and a few third place votes. Just a waste here. Uh, but but Jefferson's number one. And his voting, um, but he did not. Okay, this is interesting. So he got 44 out of the 50 voters voted for him at all. But there's still six voters who didn't vote for him. At first, second, or third. That's interesting. Um, But the point totals, Jefferson 192, Patrick Mahomes 75. So that's a pretty big drop. 52 for Jalen Hurts, and then down to 43 for Hill. So Hill only got one first-place vote. He got nine second-place votes and 11 third-place votes. He did have 21 people vote for him, which is second to only tied for second to only Justin Jefferson. Now, why do I think Tyreek Hill should be the player? Well, number one, I'm going to go with my, what my analysis says because let's, let's pump up the substack, right? Let's pump up some subscribers on the substack here. Um, so that's number one. But number two, I do think the non-quarterback voting is a little broken in terms of being able to figure things out. I think we're a bit better when it comes to quarterbacks and understanding that value is more closely linked to efficiency than it is to counting stats, to volume, right? Brady had a ton more volume and other stuff two years ago versus Rodgers. Not this last season, but the season before. Brady probably should have been MVP because he was so good even even from an efficiency basis, but he didn't. Whereas that would be a slam dunk Brady MVP if it was looked at the same way we look at all these other awards. I mean, Justin Jefferson, a few more catches than Tyreek Hill, but not a lot, right? If you look at their, their numbers on the season, 128 to 119 in receptions. He had about 10 more targets also. Um, about 100 more yards receiving. 99 to be exact, 1809 to 1710. One more touchdown. Neither player was very prolific in their touchdown scoring. Eight for Jefferson, seven for Hill. 
that's what a lot of this awards is based on. Now, if you look at volume, though, and if you look at things on a per route basis, which is normally the most stable way to look at these different efficiency metrics and figure things out, on a per route basis, Hill just crushes Jefferson in a lot of different categories. Justin Jefferson ran 690 routes versus 534 for Tyreek Hill. Justin Jefferson, number one in routes run in the NFL this season. Tyreek Hill tied for 31st. Both played 17 games. Um, a slightly more team volume for uh, Minnesota, but mostly, you know, Jefferson was out on the field just every single snap. So he deserves some of that credit for the volume. And again, even my PFF, uh, PFF, going back to the old, no, old uh, nomenclature, even my NFL plus stat accounts for volume you know it's 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 projecting their efficiency and then it's in this projecting it so it's times the number of routes that they're running so jefferson's getting that benefit but still because hill had nearly the same efficiency he was able to compile nearly the same amount of stats while running 25 percent fewer routes 20 to 25 percent fewer routes that's probably more valuable i get it jefferson's out there for every play we give him credit for that, but are you telling me if we took Justin Jefferson off the field for a hundred and quick math here again, fifty six routes last year, took him off the field, let him rest, put in a replace, you know, uh, some sort of replacement? Like what? What are his? What are what are the stats going to be for Jefferson? They're not going to be anywhere close. He's not going to get such a huge efficiency boost that he gets up to where Hill's numbers were on the season. You know, Hill was over three yards per route run. Tremendous number. And I've also heard some talk of, well, you know, quarterback play. Well, you know, Tua wasn't very good before Hill and Waddle got there. Tua's EPA per dropback went from about 0.08 to 0.2 when those, you know, playing with Hill specifically, because he had, you know, Waddle there um, last year. That's pretty huge. That's that's some evidence there. Now, I know Patrick Mahomes eventually didn't drop, but he still has Kelsey and he's he's Patrick Mahomes. And they brought in some other guys there that they didn't have for a depth of receiving core before, where it was so reliant upon just Hill and Kelsey in the past. Um, so there's that. And also this idea of like, well, Waddle's there to help Hill be more efficient. That may be true. But if we're talking about purely like the numbers that they're putting up per route run, you would rather not have that competition there to put up bigger stats. People always try to make this argument, and maybe it's true for for like a true number two type of receiver, that you want to have a good number one receiver in order to unlock their game but if you're a number one receiver and i know this from projecting fantasy football and other stuff for a long time not having target competition helps you put up better numbers when we're talking about counting stats in particular sure you may just be spam targets and not be that efficient on a per target basis but getting those targets really helps i mean let's look at what happened with the philadelphia eagles this year with aj brown Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. Brown had some dominant games this year, but then he also had a lot of games where he was very, very quiet because they have those other guys to throw to. If Devontae Smith did not play for the Eagles, if he got injured, didn't play this entire year, I would almost guarantee A.J. Brown would have better efficiency per route, better efficiency numbers, and better stats this year. He's not benefiting. From that perspective, having another uh, target on the field. I mean, there's target competition between players on the same team. That's why looking at things like percentage of targets, percentage of yards, market shares, those things for college analysis is so important. You're looking at how well you're doing versus the other receivers on your own team as being an indication. Those are the guys you're competing with. That's why you see... People like Jalen Waddle come out of college and not have the greatest stats because they had such extremely good target competition on their teams. It happened with Odo Beckham and Jarvis Landry having lower stats for Beckham. 
It happened with Justin Jefferson having somewhat lower stats than you would have hoped for because he was competing with um, Jamar Chase when they were playing together. There's not really a logical or true um, truth behind the idea of having a strong receiver next to you is going to help your production in any sort of way. Again, unless you're a lower receiver who just like can't get open, who just can't get open and needs to be the one guy who's singled up at all times while all the defense is concentrating on the other guy. But a true alpha number one receiver, that's not going to be the case. So I, I think Hill should have been the guy. I mean, obviously there's going to be some lingering stuff with Hill when it comes to his reputation, the charges coming into the league, the potential recurrence of uh, violence, which was never really pinned down when he's in the league. If you want to just not you know vote for him or anything like that because of that, that's fine. But I do think that when it comes to the NFL, these things in these non-quarterback awards are just counting stat awards. And we can go through the other awards and look at some of this. I mean, defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. I mean, maybe he is the most valuable. Still, 46 out of 50 first place votes for Bosa. That's dominant. Dominant. Is he that much better of a player than Chris Jones, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons? I don't think so. I mean, he's good. He played for a great, great defense, which I think also helps having the playing for the number one defense here, but he had two and a half more sacks this year than anyone else. Two and a half more than Miles Garrett. That's kind of how they're just handing out these awards. Unless someone is compiling a ton of interceptions to compete. So again, just a counting stat award. Uh, the NFL plus plus minus analysis I did on defense actually likes Chris Jones quite a bit. Maybe it's overvaluing interior defenders because when they come out of the game, weaker players come in to replace them than the players who replace edge defenders. But still, I think there's, a, there's an argument for Jones because of how dominant he was. He had an Aaron Donald type of season from a pass rushing perspective. Um, but Bosa gets the award because, like again, mostly because of the counting stats that come into play there. Uh, rookie of the year, another counting stat type of thing for when it comes to offensive at least. Garrett Wilson was number one. Got it's it's much more spread out though the voting here. He was number one, 18 first place votes. Now Kenneth Walker got 19 first place votes, but he didn't get nearly as many second place votes, which dropped him down. Some people have said, oh, if we were underneath the old system, Kenneth Walker would have won. I'm not sure about that because of the fact that knowing you have three choices probably affects people's behavior. So there's some chance that you know, Walker or Wilson would have gotten different first place vote amounts if the voters knew they didn't have a second and a third place also. Uh, Brock Purdy came in third. Fourth is Chris Olave. I would have had Olave as first. He was number one by my value metrics. Much, much more efficient. I know Garrett Wilson had to play with Zach Wilson, but he also had extremely high volume from Joe Flacco a bunch of times out there. And it wasn't like Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton were the be-all, end-all at quarterback. In fact, the Jets this season, and Wilson played more games, so maybe that 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 lends into it. But the Jets this season had more passing yards than the Saints did for the entire season. Um, so Olave would have been my cho- choice there. But again, it's a counting stat sort of thing. And then Sauce, pretty easy choice for defensive rookie of the year. He got more votes than anyone else when it came to all pro. So he had the most all pro votes this year for uh, cornerbacks. And by my analysis, again, fourth most value of any defensive player this year. Chris Jones, number one. Nick Bosa, number two. Miles Garrett, number three. Sauce Gardner, number four. All right. Let's talk Hall of Fame now really quickly here. Kind of goes under the radar, the Hall of Fame stuff. So five modern era players were uh, led into the Hall of Fame, were inducted well not inducted we're they're going to be an inductee they will be inducted officially ronde barber darrell revis joe thomas zach thomas and demarcus ware i'm good with all of these zach thomas is a little bit of a question zach thomas is one of these guys where he compiled a lot i think people who 
well, I'm going to sound like a film bro here, but maybe you just look at tackles and things like that. You get impressed by Thomas. And also, I think retrospectively, if you look at awards, and I do like to look at all pros to figure out, you know, who may be deserving of being in Hall of Fame or the best quarterbacks and things like that. Zach Thomas looks really, really good by all pros. Five first-team all-pro selections, two second-team all-pro selections. That's a lot. But there's a little bit of a caveat here. Zach Thomas may have benefited more than anyone else by a misalignment of all-pro slots to position that happened during the era that he played. Um, so there was a lot of like three, four defenses back then with two outside linebackers who kind of rushed the quarterback quite often. And then two inside linebackers who were just similar to like the three, the two or three off ball linebackers who play most of the time on standard base defenses nowadays. So for all pro voting, they had four first team linebackers, two middle linebackers and two outside linebackers. But sometimes even the outside linebackers were kind of like the, the you know, the Will linebacker nowadays um, or the Sam linebacker nowadays. Not your true, true middle linebacker, but two of them were being selected every year. So you had Zach Thomas. Like, for instance, I'm looking at Thomas's first time that he was uh, selected. Junior Seau and Zach Thomas are selected here. Um, along with, on the outside, Chad Brown and Mo Lewis. Now, Brown played quite a bit. He wasn't, you know, rushing that much at this point in his career. Lewis, eh, Lewis is, yeah, Lewis is rushing a decent amount. So he was kind of more of your traditional uh, outside linebacker. The next year, another year where Zach Thomas was selected in 1999. Um, if you look at the linebackers here, Ray Lewis and Zach Thomas. So, like, he's getting that slot that says he's a first team linebacker, but like Ray Lewis is the first team. Like Ray Lewis is the real first team middle linebacker, not Zach Thomas, but he's getting that designation. After that, Derek Brooks is an outside linebacker. Derek Brooks is not a put your hand in the dirt rush off of the edge outside linebacker, but he is selected there. Kevin Hardy is the other outside linebacker there. Um, he has a decent amount of sacks, but still, he was like, he dropped back a lot into coverage versus rushing the passer. So you're just getting an overweight of off-ball linebackers or guys who are only periodically rushing the passer were put on here, which enabled Thomas to get all of these first-team all-pro selections, despite the fact that he was playing at the same time as a Ray Lewis, as a junior Seau. Um other players who are clearly in another tier, a better tier as, you know, Derek Brooks, that Derek Brooks was, you know, more of the, 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 I don't know, did he play Will or Sam, but whatever. He's not, he's not the middle linebacker. Um, Brian Erlocker, he was playing at the same time as Erlocker, better player, like so many better middle linebackers during that era that I would be fine if Thomas was left off of some of this stuff. I mean, Thomas, again, 2002, he is a first-team All-Pro inside linebacker, but he had fewer votes than Brian Urlacher. So he's just, you know, sneaking in there. <laughs> sneaking onto that first team, despite the fact of not really being the best at that position. So I think Thomas is a guy who maybe I would quibble at least a little bit with his selection. Now, the, the, the finalists who did not make it, a lot of people talking about Reggie Wayne. I mean, Reggie Wayne was a fine player, but eh, I don't think he's that great, quite honestly. Uh, Patrick Willis did not make it. He hasn't. I think like Willis, like Willis is a better player than Zach Thomas, in my opinion. You know, he, he didn't make it in there. Uh, Jared Allen hasn't made it in there. Uh, Willie Anderson, offensive tackle Willie Anderson. Dwight Freeney. Devin Hester. I know everyone wants the, the kickers. The kick returners, eh, I'm not that into it, quite honestly. Torrey Holt, Torrey Holt's pretty solid. But for me, the guy that I think is should almost be like a first ballot type of guy is Andre Johnson. 
It's only a second time as a finalist. But and maybe it's just too much of a fantasy football thing. But like this guy was the best receiver in the NFL. You know, maybe. Or like he and Calvin Johnson for a pretty long period of time. Now, his team didn't have a ton of success in the Texans, making the playoffs sometimes and doing other things. But, I mean, he's strong. I don't know. Maybe I'm just more of a peak guy than some other people. And he just had that peak play for a number of years. A number of years, you had your fantasy football drafts, auction drafts. You got to do auction. That's what we always do in our home league. Um, you know, I was, I was ready to empty the bank for Andre Johnson to, to get him early while other people are still sleeping, uh, pushing the button on those auction drafts. So I like to see Andre Johnson make it for sure of that group who are still around and left. Willis is another guy, I think probably second for me on this list. Um, and then third on the list, when I'm looking at guys who still haven't made it, um, Darren Woodson. Nah. Um, yeah, those are the two guys that I would really go for as, as being guys who should make it. I think the other players are pretty, pretty good. Jared Allen's pretty good too. Allen's maybe another guy. He'll probably be third on my list for guys. I think that should make it. Um, it's tougher for me for these guys who have like good, but not maybe elite best player, best two, three players in the league for a long period of time, whether I really think that they should make it uh, into that it, all the way there. Uh, Super Bowl talk real quick before I get to some questions. If people want to drop any questions in the chat here on YouTube, I will go ahead and answer those and then, you know, get out of here early if there aren't too much going on there. Um, nothing to talk about. I mean, everyone looks like they're pretty healthy. I'm just still a little bit surprised that we haven't seen more line movement, even if it's pretty superficial, crossing over, you know, zero here. We haven't seen anything back towards the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs opened as a two and a half point favorite at Circa, which is one of the sharper books. It immediately got bet to two, two and a half to the Eagles. It's stuck around. It's still one and a half Eagles. And I know Mahomes has had the ankle injury, which I think is going to be fine by the time he plays. Um, I know they have the receiver injuries. Uh, Legarius Smith, concussion. Legarius Smith is cleared. He's going to play. All these injury stuff is is going to be a big what, nothing burger, in my opinion. Maybe Juju. Maybe Juju with his knee will have some issues. But I think generally it's a nothing burger. So then we look at these teams and we say, I don't know. The Chiefs defense has been playing pretty well for a number of weeks. Chiefs offense, you know, Mahomes, other than Mahomes injury, you know, they're, they've been pretty good. The Eagles, on the other hand, it's not only that they haven't really played anybody, so we don't really know how great their defense is. I've heard a lot. I've heard sometimes that, you know, the great one of the greatest pass rushes ever. No, come on. Uh, just because they have the most sacks? L -l -l Let's not be sack. Let's not be sack, blindly follow sack totals to figure this out. Um, in fact, any prop bets that I can find where it's going to lean into Philadelphia taking more sacks than the Chiefs, I like because quarterbacks here. Mahomes doesn't take sacks. Jalen Hurts, if he's forced to drop back the pass, will take some sacks because he's going to try to scramble so much. Um, I'm just a little bit surprised because the Eagles' offense has not been also very good for a while. I mean, they were averaging, I think it was like 4.8 yards per play against the 49ers. They converted all these fourth downs. If they don't convert those fourth downs, even against the 49ers, that game could have been a lot closer. One of those fourth downs they converted, of course, wasn't even really a catch. You know, that game could have been a lot closer for a lot longer, despite the fact that the 49ers didn't have a quarterback. You know, Jalen Hurts has put up three of his worst five grades this season all in the last few weeks. A.J. Brown hasn't really gotten on track for a while there. Maybe everything will come together. You know, maybe they'll just toast them. All of that can happen. I know it's noise, but it's a little bit weird that if anything, the recency bias sort of stuff from a fundamental play level should be leaning towards Kansas City. But the fact that the Eagles were able to get through that facing the Giants and the quarterbackless 49ers has somehow bolstered their reputation, which eh, I don't know. I don't know. Again, my fundamental numbers have the Chiefs being one and a half, two points better, which isn't isn't a lot, but 
hasn't changed. Uh, the total's gone up a bit though, which I, which I agreed with. I thought, you know, wherever it was 48 and a half, 49, when it first came out, I thought it was too low. Um, but not, not a lot else to talk about in the Super Bowl. Hopefully it'll be a good watch. Mahomes was definitely a little bit shook though in his first Super Bowl appearance against, um, the 49ers. So we'll see if he also starts slow in this one. All right, let's get to questions. Again, anyone have questions, drop them in here. Um, here, here's an interesting one. Well, first of all, the Geno Smith MVP troll votes to take a stab at Russ were just mean. Well, it's not even the troll votes. It's just one vote. <laughs> so it's just one guy trolling. Again, I, I bet these fifth place votes, if you can find them, they're going to like align perfectly with someone who covers that team or has some history in that team. That's why guys would even do that for all pro. That they just like lob an all pro vote at somebody to help them get on the second team. It's, it's disgusting. Uh, I'm going to discuss it. It's overstatement. It's not great. Uh, let me see. Emmett Smith. This is from Matthias Martin here. Um, or is it Matthias? Maybe I should say Thias a little bit more emphasis there. Uh, or is it Matthias? Do you just, is it just silent? I don't know. I think I can say it either way. Emmett Smith told PFF the O line play of his Cowboys was so good because they were challenged by a good defensive line. Is there evidence that a strong opposing line play in practice benefits the other unit? I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to say no. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Is this like the iron sharpens iron argument of offensive and defensive lines? I mean, they had some studs on that offensive line. I don't think it matter who they were going against in practice. They had some studs on defense, too. That's what made them such a great team up front. Um, I, I don't think there's any evidence for that. I wouldn't completely discount it. It probably helps to have better, more rigorous practice than not to have that. But any influence that someone would put on it, I would just default assume people are going to overstate the influence on here. Um, okay, actually, don't really see any other questions in here other than some statements here. So maybe I should have put the word out a little bit earlier about getting in here. I know it's a little bit weird on a Friday afternoon and getting some questions out for there. I've been taking some via comments on Unexpected Points Substack, which has helped a lot. If anyone is still tuning in at this point, please go to YouTube and subscribe. Help me pump up stuff there. I want to be putting more stuff on there. Uh, this is going to be free to everyone, but any sort of paywalled episodes I have in the future will be available for free on YouTube. Also, of course, if for some reason you are not subscribed to the Substack, unexpectedpoints.substack.com, now that I have these valuation numbers, my plus minus numbers for all these different players going back several years, this is when we start having some fun. Figuring out free agent values, figuring out how much teams are improving in the offseason, figuring out trade values, figuring out draft pick values based upon the similar players that they're matching up to in the past and how they've done in the NFL. We have the fundamental foundational metric now to do all of those things. Something like a PFF war. I'm not going to say whether this is better or worse than PFF war, but I think in some ways, in particular coverage players, I think it matches up a lot better than what PFF war did. Uh, by not giving him too much credit, although it does give him a lot of credit. So all of that is ready to go. Oh, wait, we got a question here. Hold on. Any thoughts on what the Eagles should do at quarterback moving forward next year? I've heard your Bears take, but this one is interesting to me too. Yeah, this is definitely not a Bears situation. Oh, but I don't know. He, you know, the, the big jump here for Jalen Hurts is still happened on a little bit of a lower volume. And of course, you know, a top five offensive line, really better run blocking offensive line, but a top five offensive line and one of the best receiver groups, including Dallas Goddard in the NFL. But when it comes to Hertz, you don't have the fifth year option as you do for another quarterback. So you can't say, well, we'll let him play one more year. Then we'll have that fifth year option. We can negotiate off. You're already in franchise tag town after this coming season. You only really have the one offseason to negotiate. So I don't know. I don't know if I'd be comfortable necessarily paying him a super ton of money. Um, at the very least, I'd be trying to do a negotiation as quickly as possible before the Joe Burrow deal gets done because Burrow's going to smash whatever 
whatever's currently out there, or the Lamar Jackson deal gets done, I would be I'd be trying to get it done first, early in the offseason. I've seen very little evidence that doing a deal early in the offseason ever harms the team versus the player. So I guess from the player's perspective, I'd wait. Don't do that early offseason deal. DJ Moore's a guy who did an early offseason deal who probably rued it because then all these receivers started getting massive, massive contracts later on in the offseason. Kyler Murray waited quite a while, probably extracted a lot, if not maximum value out of waiting and playing that whole game. So if I'm Hurts, I'm waiting, I'm playing the game. I'm trying to wait till some of those other guys get signed. If I'm the Eagles, I'm probably trying to get things done pretty early. And then from the Eagles perspective, you know, maybe you're looking at even drafting some more receivers and seeing what you want to do with Devontae Smith and others to try to recoup, you know, some draft picks and some lower cap hits in the going forward. Oh, I got another one question here. If the Ravens place the non-exclusive tag on Lamar, should NFC South teams jump at the opportunity if he wants a top of the market deal? I mean, there, there are teams other than I mentioned the Falcons being a team that I think would be a, a pretty good fit for Lamar when it comes to having the draft capital, having the cap space, having Terry Fontenot in the front office at GM and Arthur Smith at coach who have been there now through two seasons. So they like need to do something soon. I don't know if they really want or have time to like develop a rookie quarterback through a tough year. They might not survive. Um, So that would be a very logical place to go. I don't think the Ravens are going to do the non-exclusive tag though, because you're letting other teams negotiate for you. You're like introducing another bidder. And PR-wise, if the Falcons say, well, okay, let's say it plays out. So they, they put the non-exclusive tag on him. The Falcons step in and they say, we'll do it. We'll give, we'll give Lamar um, $230 million in guarantees. You know, 50 something million a year. So even let's say like a 260, 70 million dollar total deal over five years and two draft picks. Boom. We'll do it. Now, what are the Ravens doing? Now, the Ravens are kind of like forced to match in a way. And what a painful match that would be. Like you'd be matching it, a, a number you don't want to do. And also, you're giving up like potentially getting those two first round picks for it because I just going to be a PR PR nightmare. If there's like the Ravens won't match someone else's offer right now, it's all conjecture and how far apart they are and who's offering who, what, and all that sort of stuff. When you have a concrete offer that you have to match or not match out there, a lot of teams end up matching in those circumstances. So you just be letting someone else negotiate a higher number for Lamar Jackson. So I, I think that's a bad deal. Um, Another question is a GM told Mike Sando that he thinks nobody will pay Lamar and spend two first round picks. According to his athletic column. That's why I wondered, eh, I mean, you know, I thought I was lower on Lamar than some others, but you only need one right to do it. And I feel like Lamar Jackson is one of those players where you can always find one GM out there, you know, your Bill Polian of GMs <laughs> to say something like ridiculous about not ridiculous. It wouldn't be ridiculous to say it's two first round picks um, for Lamar Jackson. Maybe that's not totally ridiculous, but you can still find someone to say it. Like, I don't believe it in Lamar Jackson. I don't know. Atlanta, like that would just be a slam dunk for the Falcons. Can you imagine Lamar Jackson in Atlanta uh, with the community there, everything else slam, slam dunk, like money just falling out of the sky for um what's his name arthur blank like that would just be a huge like investment for a moribund franchise right now all right anyway guys i think that's all i'm going to take for today again subscribe to substack unexpectedpoints.substack.com enjoy your weekend enjoy the super bowl i'll be back at you next week i gotta book a guest i forgot to contact jason fitzgerald so if you're listening jason uh get, get on the pod my man um and we'll we'll get that going next week and also start digging into all the free agency stuff 
I'm going to go over all the different free agency valuations. Not a, you know, pretty unattractive when it comes to receiver and some of the flashier position trends there. But I'm going to have some some good analysis for like values that will be there, and also an analysis I'm starting to work on where there's like certain positions you need to target in free agency because of their availability there into your offensive line, um, linebacker, uh, safety, cornerback to a degree. And there's other positions where even if the numbers aren't telling you necessarily they're more valuable, they're, they're just unavailable at an elite level or even a strong above, strongly above average level in free agency. So you just can't go there for them in free agency, fill in the other spots in free agency. And well, I'll talk about all that in the analysis, analysis next week, but I appreciate everyone's support there so much. And I'll be talking at you then. Thanks everybody. Thank you.